0: music was entirely this woman's idea. Um, because Great song. I don't know if you're aware, but I mean, our drive from Perth this morning, starting extremely early, was a fraught affair on a number of levels. One, because this woman has had a gastro situation for the last sort of
1: three to four
0: days. So the
1: idea of being contained in a small space. I said to Crab, the chorus of that song um, ends with chick. Tick, tick, boom. (laughs) (laughs) And the greatest thing about
0: the chatters is, of course, we had all this exciting advice about the availability of public toilet stops between (laughs) Perth and Albany. Do you know what the main advice was? There's not very
1: many public toilets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes when the map says there is one, there isn't one. (laughs) So we made... I think, polite use of the ones that were, like, actually in evidence. And the other thing about the trip, and we did tell this story quite extensively in Perth last night, but, like, I think we need to bring you firmly up to date, is that sales has recently started learning the cello.
1: (laughs) After wanting to my entire... Life really. I used to learn violin at school, and I ha- but I had massive cello envy. And I remember this girl called Frances used to play the cello, and I always wanted to learn it. And then um, I was at a dinner recently uh, talking to a very accomplished cellist, and she said, I'll teach and I was like, What? Why would you want to teach a beginner? And anyway, strangely, I rang her the next, next morning. Day. She goes to Bunnings, gets a cello. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so now I'm learning the cello. And as anyone knows, if you play a stringed instrument or if you've ever learned one, or if you've spent 25
0: minutes with sales, he'll tell you 50 times <laughs> in that time space. Yep. It
1: just takes, your fingers really are in a lot of pain because of the strings, right? So yeah, and so I didn't want to and because, you know, I'm a dedicated practiser of my instrument, dedicated to my craft. Um, wow, she's I, super
0: sugar coating this.
1: I didn't really want to leave it at home and so I brought it.
0: <laughs> Sydney, Perth, gastro, gastro, Perth Albany, the cello, has accompanied <laughs> us. And the great thing is she didn't exactly formally advise any of the travelling party that this would be happening. It just showed up. <laughs> and also, Sales is like rented quite a diminutive vehicle, as it turns out, <laughs> for uh, me and Sales and Gwen, Merch Gwen, who you've probably met up front, to travel in. And so this morning, very early, when she showed up to collect me and Gwen, it became hilariously clear that the number one priority was seating the cello in a comfortable position so we traveled here with uh, sales driving cello in front <laughs> passenger seat fully extended backwards
1: it was not
0: and she said it was so and so fortunately i'm very short um but she also said Look, I think, it's, I think it'd be good if you girls um, like really narrowed down your personal possessions for this trip um, <laughs> and get Jeremy, who's driving a monster truck behind us for other reasons too complex for me to go into right now, um, because uh, cello. And then when she turned up, it turns out that the back, the boot was also full with sales as personal possessions. And hilarious. Including a banana and a roll of toilet paper.
1: The hilarious thing as well when we got here was we're getting the gear out of the car and I've got my little overnighty bag thing with my shirt and jeans to wear on stage and I said to Crab, where's your clothes for tonight? And she goes, they're stuffed into this handbag. (laughs) Because because you told me to pack light. Not a restriction
0: that you at any point thought to apply, of course, to yourself. So uh, anyway, so it's great. However, the good news is we made it. Uh, (laughs) And... The other thing is I cannot tell you how delightful it is because like our experience of being on Noongar country is pretty much go to Perth, enjoy that weird thing where you land the night before and then you wake up at 3am and you go, I can do anything in this time and then you do it and then you've got to go back to Sydney which is where we live. But now we're here for a week and it's so cool. So anyway, before we go any further... Very big ups to the Manang people of the Noongar Nation. It's beautiful to collect another part of this amazing part of the world. It's just such a rich pleasure to be here. And many thanks to the traditional custodians of this wonderful part
1: of the world. It Um, is a joy. It is. (laughs) Um, Now, last night, also in Perth, crab's daughter came on stage. Because when we got on stage, I realised there was no water on stage. And because I was feeling unwell, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to need water. And so I looked over and I could see Katie sitting there. And so I said, "Uh, Katie, could you please bring me some water? And so Katie came out on stage. And then my kids got wind that Katie got to go on stage last night. And so now I've been harangued out the back to go, well, mum, 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 can we please go on stage? So, um, kids, could I please have... (laughs) Where are they? Oh! Hey! <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> a sparkling water for Lee Sales. <laughs> With a sign of round-offs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Nicely done. What good little guys. We're creating absolute monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Well they so wanted to stick around didn't they? Before uh, we go further as well I wanted to say that we um, when we do live shows we always give a percentage of the proceeds to a charity and we often ask around to see if there's a good local charity to support and so the charity that we're supporting here is the Albany Hospice. (laughs) Oh good. Oh I'm glad that that's uh a Excellent. I'm glad I don't um, probably need to tell you about the palliative care services that they um, provide, which I'm told are very valued in the community, that it's not possible to do it without private fundraising. Um, And it means a lot to me at the moment personally too because one of my very close work colleagues died recently and he had palliative care at the end. His wife just said to me it was just an absolute godsend. So it's wonderful for you that you've got that facility in this region. So that's what we're supporting.
0: Great charity. Right. (laughs) So we've already uh, dipped deeply into the lights of Albany as well because um, we've had, like, a great deal of excellent advice and um, there's a, like, Tash Rolfe local legend who has steered us in a number of great directions, been massively helpful. We're hoping to meet her here tonight. She can't be here, but we love her very much. And we've also benefited hugely from Christine Grogan, who's like a... right (laughs) now that is a complicatedly great chatter right like she is the composer of the chat 10 cryptic crossword (laughs) which is like which has international fans it's the most hilarious offshoot of this ridiculous (laughs) empire that we're sort of tangentially associated with but she also put us onto a couple of local ideas and oh my god we went to the Emu Point Cafe this afternoon, and that is that is <laughs> that good. was yeah, it was it's terrific. Yeah, yeah. It was a
1: beautiful meal. And even I, after having, it was a beautiful meal. Not even. It. Oh, it was like, a wonderful meal. Wonderful, wonderful, meal, wonderful delicious beautiful. meal. Um, after having not eaten very much the past right. few days, I so
0: <laughs> there was a bit of a tick tick boom element because she was like, "Oh, I think I'll just have some crackers," and um, and then went, like, well, this sardine platter looks pretty good wow, you have to try the sardines, (laughs) grilled sardines and then a kind of like a brandard sort of, um, you know, pate of sardine, so good. And so sales is like, oh, just try try a tiny bit and then just wolfed a lot of food. So we've all been very nervous, but it seems to be holding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't use this, the shows you. I know, right? Also make a pea falafel. Oh, God. That is so good.
1: So <laughs> it was bright absolutely. green
0: and just anyway beautiful. Yeah, and we met was... also a crowd of chatters who are probably here tonight. Yes, they are. And there they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, there and they are. we walked oh, in. They... It was a bit windy, and we're like, oh, where's where where's there a table? And they're like, hello, we're just leaving.
1: And so we got <laughs> fabulous tables. Very good. It's just been totally livable so far. Thank <laughs> you, Albany. And we we had some recommendations on the way, so we stopped at the Williams Woolshed, which was yep. great. And then um, I had my first fritter of the day there. <laughs> and then Was it the last fritter of the day? No, it was not. But
0: uh, no then, way to start. the Mount Barker Bakery. <gasps> what okay. about that place? So a number of people recommended that bakery. We're like, Yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. Regional bakery, know the type. <laughs> that is like a palace of delight <laughs>
1: yeah. we, we had to keep going to the end of the queue <laughs> we're in the, like we're in the,
0: the queue we're like the queue is moving fast because those people got really worked so we're like we're up the front of the queue but we haven't made a bit <laughs> by, so we're like, up our minds <laughs> it was like being you know on an like one of those travel later things and losing your nerve but like in the end we bought too much we bought too much. <laughs> so we, we ended up with a, a, a quiche Florentine, uh, the whole thing, and uh, six sausage rolls, about eight pies, of varying description, yeah. and then we panic bought one of those jam rolls because it looked so yeah. – Oh, light. they look, Is looked Was that the right amazing. decision? Yeah,
1: the chocolate raspberry one oh we got.
0: gosh there was a lot of yeah. agonising work that went into the, that choice. And then the apple pie looked so
1: great yeah, that way. Yeah, I, I think I, I did – as soon as we left, I, I went right. outside yeah. and I just thought – because we hadn't hit Albany yet. I was like, how far is Albany? Oh, it's only 25 minutes. Great. I can come back here. <laughs>
0: so all the stuff we left For behind. once we finished this enormous mountain of food. I'll be, I'll be back. Um, and then and when we got out of the car here at the venue, I'm like carrying this box of flapping pies. <laughs> and I'm looking at the um, kite festival. Oh, my God. How lovely is that? And then my pies were in bags. So they're threatening to fly away. I'm like, I've made a pie kite. It's like
1: <laughs> the incredible. Thing, the other thing that happened is we got pulled over by p- police we on did. the way down. Um, and I got a bit nervous because what I was worried about, which I didn't say at the time, was is it legal to have a cello strapped into the front <laughs> seat like this? Yeah. And so I'm thinking, what if he said something? We we're like in the middle of nowhere. I thought, what if he said, oh, miss, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to. I love how I, you know, I'm about to turn 50 and I still think that a policeman would call me miss. <laughs> Excuse me, hatchet face monster. Excuse me, young lady. (laughs) Anyway, I was thinking, what if he's like one of those officious cops who's like, well, I'm sorry, you can't go any further with that cello because I'm thinking, well, it's going to have to go in the back and then I'm sorry, but one of those women's going to get left on the side of the road. (laughs) I love that there's no question about the pecking order between us and the cello. So then I couldn't do the RBT and he's like, so he stopped to explain, no, you do a deep breath. (laughs) I was was like, (laughs) sort of hyperventilating and he's like, no, no you got to do one like this and then blow out. And then Crab goes, I'm sorry, officer, she's just too rad-ass to figure it out.
0: <laughs> and then he does that thing where, like, it was, full, it was full sunlight but you could just picture him, like, grabbing, like, the flashlight and going... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. And ..into <laughs> the back tr- seat and there's me and Gwen going, Hi! <laughs> as we, And as we drove off, he said to me, yeah, good luck with the two of them back there. <laughs> If you do want to meet Gwen, by the way, if you haven't already, she's going to be out the front selling merchandise at the merchandise stand. Yes, and Do please um, buy some
0: because otherwise we are seriously carrying that stuff in our crotches in the car. <laughs> like it's just packed
1: around us. Like So tea towels, they're super handy, guys. Come on. <laughs> That's right. Clear some more space for that cello. Um yeah, anyway, so it's it's gorgeous to be here. So we're going to be floating around the region for a few more days. And it's been... Um going to Gnomesville, by the way. I mean, it's not strictly the region, but... Oh, is that controversial?
2: Do, is you, it?
0: do you guys hate Gnomesville?
1: Oh, Nomes? Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Okay, all right. Is it because you've got Luke Longley locally, just like
1: really opposed to short people? <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? So we, so one of the reasons we're here, one of them is because Annabelle's partner, Jeremy, saw this art centre, the entertainment centre, online and, and sent it to us and said, He was just it's doing that late night
0: googling of, you know, remarkable regional art centres across <laughs> Australia. And he got super insistent about it right away. He's just like, this is the most beautiful art centre. You need to go and do a show there. And we, of course, are just like... Oh, have a look! Oh my god, that is actually that's a really that's nice very one. Lovely. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah. Um, and let's totally do that. And then I watched the Australian Story episode on Luke Longley, and it was shot around Denmark. And my jaw was on the floor at what that region looks like. I just thought I had never seen a more beautiful looking region, and just there was a sequence. It's a lovely region. These yeah. sales. <laughs> the sale. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lovely right. pull quote for the tourism pamphlet. Yeah, that's right. A lovely region. You know what I'm going to do when we go to Elbe? I'm going to tell those people something they don't know. That I'm going to tell I'm them. Not. I'm going to tell them that just down the road is this beautiful, this. a beautiful location <laughs> called Denmark. Uh, anyway, it was there was this particular sequence where they'd shot Luke Longley at the beach, and then he was on like a quad bike, and then. I mean, I know that there's the magic of television, but it felt like two seconds later he was where he lived, and then it was this just utterly gorgeous kind of country looked like it was just in the middle of like it didn't wasn 't like what I associate with like a beach community I it was it's a <laughs> oh God <laughs> oh dear, I'm in big trouble um, anyway, it was just so beautiful, and so I was like, I want to go to that region and so then, when we were writing the show blurb to come. It's actually quite embarrassing. Story, it is embarrassing. Like, I got well, a little I mean, bit. I got a little bit carried away, and so we did the like, you know, hot off the back of their Perth show, blah blah blah. They're going to Albany, and then the back of the blurb was this: is what was on like the Ticketek website. And I, or whatever. I'd like
0: to just say that sales wrote this unassisted. <laughs> I was, I was, I was occupied elsewhere. Normally, I do that job so that I can sledge Lee. She doesn't notice, but on this occasion. She was allowed to write the blurb, and wow, yeah.
1: So anyway, blurb, 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 final paragraph. Also, can somebody please tell Luke Longley that we're coming because we really want an invite to dinner at his place so sales can get all trembly over her love of the Chicago Bulls. And Luke, if you're reading this, can you please also invite Phil Jackson? <laughs> and then, to our massive embarrassment, somebody did actually contact Luke Longley about that. But to our great delight... Luke Longley's here tonight and he's going to join us. (laughs) Now, where is he? Where is he? Oh, there he is. Come on down, Luke. Come up. And
0: (laughs) such is this man's good humour that he's agreed to come on stage to have a chat.
1: I think it's through that door. Oh, hello. You can imagine this poor man who's probably never heard of either of us or <laughs> Chat 10 Looks Three, and he's suddenly been harangued to come and join us on stage at a show, and hopefully takes us to his house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Luke. Very nice to meet you. Hi. How are you? Very nice. Very good. Oh, yes. I'm good.
0: Please take a seat. Um, I'd just like to apologise, obviously, for my friend in the first instance because it's just a colossal... She's a colossal embarrassment to me. Uh,
1: But still, thank thank you very
0: much much for responding to this pathetic shout-out.
2: I'm just pleased that you can be embarrassed by anything.
0: Yeah. No, that's actually an excellent point.
2: I'd I'd never met Annabelle before and I got on the phone with her yesterday and she said, what can I bring? To your house for breakfast, as it turns out, that you can't get in Denmark. And I said, "Well, some cheese would be great. <laughs> some burrata, in fact, would be great." And um, she said, "I don't think I am bring it across the border." And there was a pause, and then she said, "Do they do cavity searches?" <laughs> I just about dropped my phone in my muesli. <laughs> I don't yeah. really want that cheese, Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, think look, it's
1: controversial that I put a cello in a small car, she's brought in three kilos of cheese up her ass.
2: <laughs> well, better the better her than you by the sound of it.
0: <laughs> well, like the ulterior motive, of course, is that <laughs> you know we're both a bit, you know basketball obsessed in a kind of embarrassing midlife way like I mean we're just like oh did you hear about you um but also I do have a long-term crush on your wife so like
2: (laughs) I make two of us
0: yeah (laughs) so the cheese is not really for you buddy. (laughs) it's 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 for Anna
2: (laughs) even stranger
0: (laughs) so um yeah we we have I mean part of the Cray's journey with the cello is that we are also packing three kilos of fresh cheese that has to be kept under a certain temperature. So there has been just a series of ice packs and frozen beach towels and it has remained an appropriate temperature and I am now in a position to hand over to you this evening... <laughs> Some perfectly intact burrata great from the great over. people at Vanilla Cheese in Marrickville, many, many um, k's away, and also some other nice things from Two Providores, which was sourced by the great Kate Pritchett, like platinum chatter, who's just like, Anna Gare needs things? I will find them so that she will love me. What's that tall husband of her called again? I can't remember, but like... <laughs>
1: Anyway, thank you very much for going <laughs> along with our stupid shenanigans.
2: <laughs> I, I don't even know where the thin end of the wedge was. I think is, my sister-in-law has a lot to do with it, Ingrid. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> um, so you're about to actually go on your own public speaking tour. So we're, we're doing you a favour, actually, Luke, by giving you yeah. a, a trial in. run. We're breaking you That's in. That's right, Yeah,
2: I feel broken in already. Um, <laughs> Yeah, after the Netflix Last Dance Australian Story thing, there was a lot of um, demand, and so we're doing a, a speaking tour, hitting all the cities in Australia. Well, not all of them, but most of the big ones. And you're
0: starting in Hobart on the seventh, right? So very soon. I looked it up. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I need to think about what I'm going to say pretty soon. It's yeah. On the 7th. I was yeah. just
1: getting, So what? What are you going to talk about? What's the gist?
2: Well, I hope we could workshop that a little bit tonight. <laughs>
1: Well,
0: I mean, if you just get a dumb mate along, it turns out it's quite easy. You can just, like, absolutely crap on about Uh, next to nothing at all and somehow it kind of turns into
2: content. Have
0: you got a dumb mate to talk to? Dave,
2: where are you? (laughs) Put your hand up, Dave. (laughs) Dave's here. Perfect. You're
1: absolutely (laughs) accepted in that case.
0: That's weird, though, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, this is, you know, you get very famous for being good at, like, jumping and putting a thing through a hoop, and now you're going like, to, like, be on stage talking and being entertaining for, you mm. know, an hour and a half or something, they're kind of...
2: Which is tricky, because i I'm decided I'm going to leave Michael Jordan out of it altogether like he didn't oh. with the, Oh! oh. What do you think? Yeah!
1: Good call. Good call. <laughs> yeah? Yeah.
2: I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm hoping, take the cello, (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I've got to say, I mean, I did, I really enjoyed watching The Last Dance and I also quite enjoyed watching Lee Sales, a woman who knows absolutely fourth, fifths of F all about basketball, suddenly uh, becoming an overnight expert. And she actually do, bought
1: all these books by Phil Jackson as well. Uh, I do actually, I've got to correct you there because I do know a little bit. In fact, my nephew, um, so my brother's a very good basketballer and very keen basketballer and my nephew actually was in the team that just won the schoolboy state championships in Queensland. Oh, well, so, I feel totally owned now.
0: Yes, thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> clearly you are an expert. So <laughs> Some of my best friends are basketballers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. So it is a family that's, um, that's into basketball. In fact, I remember my brother, I think, I can't remember if it was the last dance or something else I was watching, but there was a lot of talk about Larry Bird. And I remember saying to my brother, why is Larry Bird always so talked about? And Glenn just went... Can you please just Google, like, best of Larry Bird and just watch it? And it was just unbelievable. And I watched, the other day I looked at it again because I've been reading this book called When We Were Champions by Larry Bird and uh, Magic Johnson. And it's a really interesting book. And I was thinking about it just this weekend in the context of watching Roger Federer have his last game and Rafael Nadal and seeing their relationship and how it's really fascinating, I think, this idea where you have someone who's your rival but also you have a lot of respect for them and then over time they become your friend and it was really did you see yesterday the Federer Nadal I didn't, no uh, it was just really touching Lee um, Sales now
0: explaining sport to Luke Longley <laughs> stick around <laughs> has this woman no shame <laughs> let's go to the third camera
1: Oh, they were just still – everyone – because, of course, I mean, Roger Federer, what a champion. Everyone's just crying and Rafa's crying and it was just amazing. And then in the Bird Magic Johnson book, they they just talk a lot about this kind of wariness at first when they're eyeing each other off and, you know, geez, who's this guy He's so massively talented? And, and then over time, like, the kind of friendship that sort of sparks from that. But the um the videos and stuff, oh, my God, it's just – it's like – it's like anything that you watch when someone's really awesome at it, like when people watch me playing the cello. Um, it's <laughs> the fluidity of it, like watching the best of Magic Johnson and he's passing the ball and he's not even looking and it's just amazing.
2: The impressive thing about um, Larry Bird was he would tell people what he was going to do to them and then he would do it to them. <laughs> because, of course, they're thinking, well, he's not going to do that and then he would It was pretty impressive to watch yeah. <laughs> So
1: so how do you execute that? When, like, so if someone's expecting, like, he's going to do this, how do you then get away with it?
2: Oh, I wouldn't know. I'm just a role player. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but hang on, like, so um, how would that be phrased? I mean, like, what level of precision would be involved in the pre-briefing?
2: Well, I mean, I wasn't ever trash-talked by Larry Bird. My first year in the league, uh, he... The Celtics were so good and we were so bad in Minnesota that Larry took all the games off against Minnesota. Uh, same year that uh, Magic got HIV. So I didn't get to play against either either of those two, unfortunately. Our era's just sort of kissed and parted ways. I did get to play against Kareem Abdul Jabbar, though, talking oh, of great.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, too, isn't it, sometimes in a sport where people think, well, that's the golden era. Like um, people obviously thought the Bird Johnson era was the golden era but then the Chicago Bulls then people go well that's the golden era that and, is. and then
2: <laughs> and, right.
1: and then in tennis you know I was just watching a story earlier that was talking about the um, Djokovic Nadal Federer era as being the golden era but obviously you know 30 years ago 40 years ago thought that the McEnroe Bjorg era was the golden era and it's kind of exciting that new stuff comes along and new developments come along that means that you never can be quite sure when the next golden era is going to arrive
2: yeah, well, I mean, I, the games change so much, basketball games change so much that this is a, a whole new golden era and it's a different sport. So, I mean, I, one of the reasons I've resisted going on tour and, and doing all, all advertising, whatever it is, is I think it's pretty... Usually I feel a little bit um, embarrassed when 55-year-old men go on tour and talk about how good they were when they were <laughs> 35. Or 25, I beg your pardon, 30 years ago. Um, but I do actually, I, I personally do think our, the 90s era of basketball was um, as close to a golden era as we've had. The, the skill level got to a point where it was fully professional and, and amazing. And the um, the current trend of all shooting threes and running to the corners, for those that are into basketball, know that it's sort of destroying some of the way that the game used to be played. And um, it's fun to watch now, but it's, to me, not as fun as it used to be in the golden era. And
1: That's so it. what what do you think's less fun about it? Like, is it less strategic or is it, what's the... <laughs>
2: Well, I haven't played it, but it just doesn't... Well, there's certainly not the same level of physicality Oh. Um, the interior sort of play has gone out of the game. But, you know, the skill level is through the roof. The skilled players now are so much better skill-wise than they used to be. So it's fun to watch in that regard. I shouldn't I shouldn't trash the NBA, should I? I made a good living out of that.
0: <laughs> Keep it for the tour. Yeah. I hoping I could get in with a question here at some point. Yeah. I know that the, the commentary couch... And I made Bill? a strategic error just shifting over here, didn't I? Because I've, I've really seeded the questioning. I'm never going to get it back. But... Actually, the thing is, as a as a like basketball near fight, I did enjoy that series. But the thing that I enjoyed about the Australian Story episode with you actually was very little to do with basketball at all. And the thing that I was that I really enjoyed about that show was the way that you talked about being part of a team. It it actually you. I don't want to embarrass you, but like your degree of emotional intelligence in the way that you analysed the relationships within the team was actually, like, a really impressive thing and I wanted all my children to see it because it was very, very um, sophisticated, I thought, and impressive and I really... That's when I I really started to like you a lot. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I just thought... I mean, I don't know. I think people who are incredibly good at sport are in a huge kind of like crunch a lot of the time right like a lot of the questions are week to week how good are you you know are you sticking around and then obviously particularly for young men who kind of then think need to think of a life after professional sport that can be massively massively fraught right but the thing that I was impressed by was that you seemed to like make that transition with incredible self-awareness and grace and mm. your perspective on that time was really significant. I don't well, know, I'm, that's I'm the magic that. of television. <laughs> oh, so there was just like the, the, out, the outtakes with you just raging and screaming and like, like why?
2: I think that was a question. I'm going to try to break it up into two parts. Yeah, so no, sorry, part, it wasn't. It was
0: just a rant. There's the a reason why I'm not the um, lead questioner in this interview, obviously. <laughs>
2: The first part was just the, the part about um, being in a team and I think that Chicago Bulls team which you're referring to, the reason I was on that team, there's a lot of guys in the world that could do the things I could do broadly. Guarding Shaq one-on-one, was, I was probably, that was my point of difference. I was the only guy that really wanted to wrestle him one-on-one. Everyone else was sending two guys at him, so that was a point of difference. But the thing that I was most interested in, I actually didn't, I loved playing basketball, but basketball wasn't my thing. Being in a group of people trying to do something that was that was a bit a bit more beautiful than what everyone else was doing was my thing so being plugged into the other guys and tuned into the other guys was the part that I that was my that was my bit and I loved it and I still do it in, in my coaching um, environment and I think that's exactly Phil Jackson and Jerry Krauss, for those that haven't seen Jerry Krauss was the the manager of that team saw that in me, and that's why exactly why I was recruited uh into that Bulls team and they recognized that You need to have a diversity of personalities and you need some sort of nurturers and carers and you need some alpha dogs. And we had plenty of alpha dogs, um, that's for sure. (laughs) And, um, you know, I couldn't have been more polar opposite to those guys and that's exactly why. And Steve Kerr, similarly, who's now in the the NBA. And I think that was the mastery of the construction of that team. I think if they'd put Michael Jordan with some different characters, we wouldn't have been as good. In fact, if Michael had been, I think, a a warmer bloke, we probably would have been even better than, than we were. We had to spend a lot of time, you know, working around, Mike, and getting and figuring out how to be with a guy like that who's, who's so sharp and so driven and so, uh, well, powerful in a lot of ways. But now I'm rambling, but... Nuts um, is the word you're no, looking for. that's interesting. For. Nuts.
1: It's, it's interesting, isn't it, what kind of motivates a team and makes a team cohesive? Because I notice even in journalism, because I've worked with lots of different people and for lots of different people who've been in leadership, if you have someone that you fear, either because you have to be on eggshells a bit because of their ego or whatever... That will motivate people so far just because you don't want to upset them, you don't want to put them offside, and so that that does act as a motivator just because you don't want hassle. Um, But if you have a leader who motivates because of loyalty or because you see that they're putting a lot in and so you don't want to let them down or disappoint them, then that actually ultimately, I've, I've, I've found, delivers a better result.
2: Yeah, and absolutely, I agree, and Phil Jackson was that for us. I mean, MJ did that by example. He was an example leader of hard work and, and, and bloodthirstiness and all that sort of stuff. But Phil was the person that you didn't want to let down. Phil was the person that managed to make a connection with every individual uh, on the team and everybody felt like he was going to put them in a place to succeed and not, not giggle at their weaknesses in the coaches' meetings.
1: So how how's that experience informed what you now do as a coach?
2: Oh, I think, well, my primary... Um, I'm not coaching anymore. I coached for seven years with the national team, but I'm involved with the Sydney Kings, and I end up I end up coaching a lot because guys come to me for that. And my main job is putting uh, putting Aaron guys ties. It's, it's amazing. Aaron Baines is an example. Of, I know, I don't know how long I'm supposed to speak for, but no, Aaron...
1: as long as you like.
2: I, I, I picked up a young I picked up a young man. It doesn't sound quite right.
0: It's okay, I could potentially rephrase that. I, been, I hadn't
2: been. Yeah, yeah. Well. I hadn't been coaching at all, and there's a six foot ten, very angry ginger, um, but he's an impressive specimen. And the Russian coach had said, "If we can teach a bear to play basketball, we can teach Aaron Baines." And he was playing terribly, but he has a lot of talent. And so he landed. He's an Australian, and he landed in Perth for the Boomers camp. And they called me up and said, "Mate, you're a ginger. You're huge. Can you come down and try to? Can you come down and see if you can speak the same language as this angry ginger?" So,
1: look, if that's the criteria, I think I could do it
0: because, <laughs> like. Put, like sales has gone a long way for a ginger too so <laughs> I can feel like.
2: <laughs> so, so I ended up going down there and, and figuring out his language and that was just that he beat himself up all night every time he made a mistake and then you, when you do that then of course you make another mistake and before you know it you're off the court. So basically just put air in his ties. He's had a 10-year NBA career and made I don't know how many million dollars and been in the Olympics four times and all it took was one person to believe in him and put air in his ties and It's exactly what happened with me with Phil Jackson. So I suppose you ask about what what I try to echo. It's the same thing I did with Aaron. And and that was the thing that got me excited about coaching and and trying to help young guys find their way in basketball.
0: Okay. A, I'm crying now, but B... um, (laughs) When I rang you the other day and had that compromising conversation about um, body cavities and cheese, uh, (laughs) you were in Darwin and you said, I'm sorry I didn't uh, pick up before, I was playing mini-golf. I'm like... (laughs) I'm like, I know this is our first step towards friendship, it's our first conversation, but, like, also, how does that work?
2: <laughs> well, apparently very well. I won the whole thing. Yeah. I only give the... There's only one length of club at the mini-goal yeah. joint, so I just... Uh, I thought either I'd play off my knees or i will find a hole and wheel that around and stand in that, but um, I figured it out.
0: So you're basically playing with a club that's the size of your tibia.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, or smaller.
1: Are you, generally, are you generally good just checking in case you, like, you know, wangle us into, like, a darts match or something tomorrow? Are you generally good at, like, all hand-eye coordination kind of sport activities? Oh,
2: God, that's um, just, terrible Just making sure. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I think you're yeah, generally okay, especially right. for someone that's seven foot two. I mean, I think... Um, I played tennis when I was a kid. I played rugby. I, play, I, I wanted to be an underwater architect is what I wanted to be because I thought that was the future of the world. But, yes, <laughs> yes I'm, I'm decent at all that. Okay, good. i no doctor have yeah. a game of pool with Table you. Table tennis, watch out. <laughs> Table tennis, yeah. exactly.
0: Got any other hard-hitting questions? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you
0: got a ball sports? Oh, I've got many. I'm wow. just saving it.
1: <laughs> um, Luke, you have been a ridiculously good sport. Thank you so much for coming right, and so having you. a chat. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: And of course, <laughs> oh my God, thank you so much. And also, uh, if you're listening to this episode as a podcast, Luke Longley is literally touring the nation from October seven <laughs> to October 15th starting in Hobart and ending in Perth, and um, I think that is uh, an engagement oh, not to miss. my
1: family will be all showing up at that with bells on. Um, well, it's being think- bitter that you got to meet him. First? Oh, they yeah. are filthy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I thought you were going to say, for anyone listening to this podcast, I'd just like to describe what just occurred. Luke Longley just lifted Annabelle Crab off the ground by about a metre.
0: <laughs> Listen, I was um, on the publication of my first book. I went on a book tour and I got dipped by Bert Newton, uh, on the Channel 10 set. That has just beaten that experience. Oh. <laughs> I, I now have a new number one on-stage experience.
1: Wow. <laughs> You've had some funny stuff happen to you.
0: I, that is true. That is truly, <laughs> you, Sales. Most you, of them have involved you.
1: Would you care to uh, return oh, to Oh, I should return, <laughs> yes. Okay,
0: all right. I'm going to bring my phone and my wine. And you know, and <laughs> notes. <laughs> just, yeah, I've got to... Later we'll dance as, around our handbags. You know, as you would be
1: noting Luke, the bar for doing a live show is fairly what? low. <laughs> you just kind of show well, up and speak, and people kind of roll with it. I know. Yeah, <laughs> find a foolish friend. Um, now, I have been dying for you because we knew we were going to talk a little bit about sport and I knew that I had read that um, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson book. Well, you have, have you? I just sure I mentioned it earlier. <laughs> no, but you said, you mentioned that you had watched something about sport and it sounded really good. And so I've been waiting, I've been biting my tongue and not asking you Look, about it ever since you mentioned it. it now be, I want to finally know about it.
0: It could be a bit disappointing, like, you know, because you're waiting for me to hit you with some sort of deep sport intel. But I just watched a movie on the plane. Um, oh. oh, ow.
1: Crab <laughs> uh, did an impression of me today and she reckons I make this noise all the time. She does this
0: noise where she goes, ow. Oh. <laughs> and it's where you're talking about something and she's like, and I think it means, why would you think that's interesting? <laughs> <laughs> ow.
1: Oh, <laughs> when, when she did it, you know, someone, sometimes somebody does an impersonation of you or says something that you say and then it's just, you've got that utter recognition of like, oh yeah, I do do that all the time. And it does mean, that's not very interesting. It kind of means, it's kind of, it's not, it's not a red light. And it's, it's like, not a green light.
0: It's an amber light. And it says, oh, it's like, like this could, this sounds as though it's going nowhere. However, owing to our long association, (laughs) I'll allow you to prove yourself in, let's say, 15 seconds tops.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So so the reason I just made that noise then was because when you said, oh, I just watched something on the plane and it's not going to be what you thought, in my head, I've built up this whole thing that I think what you're about to do is talk to me about something I find really interesting, which is sports psychology and what motivates human beings and all of the rest of it. And so I've gone, ow, because I've realised, oh, now I've, given, now I've just given you the stage for probably the next ten minutes and you're not going to deliver what I'm <laughs> looking for.
0: <laughs> she knows how I roll on anecdotes and it's never concise.
1: Um, let me get, no, com- let me I, get
0: comfortable. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's how she started the show in Perth last night she was actually about to chuck up. Um, LAUGHTER No, I am going to talk about something that I find quite interesting, which is fraudulence. You know, I love a fraud. I love a fraud story. I love the Hitler Diaries. I love um, The Hoax by Clifford Irving, which is that guy who wrote a fake biography of Howard Hughes, thinking that Howard Hughes would never come forward to denounce it because he's a hermit. Incorrect. Anyway, um, so I love people who are just absolute, like, ballsy getting away with stuff. And I think it's because I have an imposter syndrome and I'm waiting to be found out for my (laughs) petty frauds. So I love to watch people who are just like, you know what, I'm going to enact a major fraud. So anyway, I watched the film called uh, The Phantom of the Open and that is a completely zero response. So like (laughs) nobody has watched that. But I've not heard of it. Well, it's the story, it's a true story of a guy called Maurice Flitcroft or Morris Flitcroft, who was a, um, who was a crane driver um, in the UK, he got made redundant from the works um, where he lived and worked for his whole life, and he was thinking, "What am I going to do next?" And he was watching the telly late one night and was watching the British Open, like the you know the golf tournament, and he thought, "I think I'll play golf." And so he bought himself some golf clubs and he sent off an application to be in the British Open. <laughs> And the, the, the forms say, are you an amateur or a professional? Professionals can enter automatically. So he went, I'm a professional. And he showed up and teed off. And it took a couple of like holes before people were like, wait a minute. <laughs> who's this guy? And he didn't even have the right clothes or anything. Like his local club wouldn't even let him, um, like, because he had to be nominated by four people and blah, 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 blah. But... Um, He somehow just scammed his way into the... I think it was 1975, was, like, in the early to mid-70s. Well, he just... No, he was serious. Like, I'm looking for a hobby, this is it, and I'm going to... And, of course, because in Britain, like, there is a sort of a deep affection for a person who's not very good, who's like, hello, I showed up. (laughs) And so he became this kind of beloved figure. And he shot the worst round... In the history of the British Open, he shot 121. (laughs) And there was this golf journalist who was just like, who is this guy? And then went and wrote this story. And he became this sort of superstar. And his son was still employed at the, I think it was like a steelworks or something, can't remember, where he worked. And he was like horribly embarrassed because his dad is now on television as this kind of like hilarious figure of just sort of, comical failure, sporting-wise. Um, but it's a kind of an amazing story. Anyway, then they got wise to him and they were like, oh, this guy is making a fool of the British Open. But then um, every year for a while he would um, re-enter but wearing a wig and like with under an assumed name. That's
1: and incredible. Right? So good. So there's no – so that presumably has changed now. Like, So, so what – I know. That's amazing. But it's so
0: spectacular, isn't it? I mean, obviously, on the stage tonight, we have celebrated genuine supporting talent and genius. But I think it's also good to celebrate people who really aren't any good, but are just <laughs> sort of a bit ballsy. And I think, um, I mean, I love a bit of that. And in um, fact, one incredible. of my favourite books when I was growing up um, was a book called The Book of Heroic Failures by um, a British writer called Stephen Pyle, And he just, um, he was a founding member of the Not Terribly Good Club of Great Britain. And it is the funniest book. And I mean, I actually have still got the dog-eared copy and I gave it to my daughter um, when she was, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11. And she walked around reading things out of it for a while because it's very, very funny. And he just collects, you know, the worst ever attempt at, you know, um, burgling a business. The worst, you know, poem, the worst poet ever. The worst, you know play ever and just all these people who just tried to do something significant and failed spectacularly <laughs> and there's there's an appetite for that there is absolutely a market for it so did you say that
1: was in 1975 that's 1975 could that? you imagine oh, 1976 sorry can Morris you imagine Plinkroft. like I 76. don't know who was playing Jack Nicholas or whoever was playing golf then could you imagine Seve Ballesteros <laughs> they <laughs> met Ballesteros. they met in the like dressing so room can beforehand you Im- imagine when they've gone out Onto the green, and then they've teed off. Yeah. <laughs>
0: they mu- <laughs> Balaschiris must have been like, "What? The-? That that scene is in the film. Oh, is it, yeah, right? it is. <laughs> because um, one of um, Morris's sons is his caddy, and he's just like, I don't really know much about caddy. And they get to like um, teeing off, like the first shot of the British Open, and um, and Morris says, "Hand me my forward." And the son goes, I think
1: I left it in the car.
0: (laughs) So he tees off using his driver um, and he's like, I'm I'm always very accurate with my driver. And uh, so,
1: yeah. Um, This reminds me of um, when I was married and and my ex-husband was a quite good chess player. And every now and and again... Still is probably, And uh, every now and again he would want to play um, with somebody and so I would play and i just basically know the basic rules. And he would say I was a really good opponent for about four moves because I would just play the strangest moves. And so as someone that actually knew chess, you'd go... Whoa! That is that is a couple like of the Spassky opening. What, <laughs> I haven't seen that since 1982. <laughs> what, what what game is she playing here? Yeah, this is wow. I'm really quite concerned. And then he would say, and then it would just fall apart within kind of three moves. But he said the, those first three though, it was a very challenging game.
0: <laughs> chess is the most intense sport ever, and oh. I like I don't know anything at all about chess, and because I don't have the kind of brain that works in that regulated way, I would never ever be a good chess player. But I really enjoy reading chess journalism. Well I've actually done some chess journalism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds like we planned that backstage, but we honestly didn't. I've actually done some chess journalism. The other day (laughs)
0: Sales said something to me. Oh she said, I know a little bit about crowd about Q science because we were talking about the queue in the UK for the Queen's coffin and things and I said (laughs) I think I texted you, I said, Sales, do you ever look in the mirror and think I am ninety five percent rotary man?
1: anyway, I wrote a piece... I haven't even derailed her. She's like, anyway, I'll keep telling you about this thing (laughs) that I know about. I wrote a piece for The Monthly about the man who at the time was Australia's only chess grandmaster. His name was Ian Rogers. And I went and watched... He had retired from the stress of playing elite-level chess because the games go for hours. And so and the mental fatigue and just the pressure is so extreme. And so he had retired. He had not only just mental um, burnout, but physical injuries from just having to sit there and concentrate um so long just the tension seriously like the tension and stuff in his shoulders and that kind of thing um and it was it was a more shockingly stressful sport than you might imagine <laughs> i I'm get it I'm, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting I'm getting horrible waves of skepticism <laughs> off the audience I'm a chess journalist myself. <laughs> I was gonna say I really
0: enjoyed the, the writings of Julian Barnes and Martin Amos about chess. Like oh. that book Ow. Oh. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I can't believe that is a museum specimen. Ow. Oh. <laughs> I would recommend in Martin Amos's collection of essays, *The Moronic Inferno*. I think, I think there's a terrific series of chess essays or chess if you will. <laughs> but um, uh, nothing by you, I think, <laughs> in that collection. <laughs> but also, there's been that big drama recently with the, with chess and cheating, right? Because there's right. like there's no more sort of elevated sense of you know pride and um, kind of brittleness, I think, than in chess grandmasters. Like, they really take it seriously. And there was um, a... Well, as you would expect. But um, there was some drama recently, and here's where I twangingly reached the end of my expertise because I can't remember the name of anyone involved. But there was a champion who just stalked out of a tournament because he suspected that this other dude had been cheating and then it was all like... After that. Because how do you cheat at chess? Like, it's very, very... Like it's very, like in the olden, olden, olden days, it would be like, seat the opponent with the sun in his eyes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like, but would it be? Wear a
0: visor, which is, I think, what one of those crazy guys used I don't know, to do. Yeah, be
1: coaching or something, maybe? Earpiece, earpiece. yes, yeah, Ear- like was it earpiece? Oh, yeah. earpiece. Oh, earpiece. But then
0: in Australia and lots of other tournaments, they do a kind of delayed broadcast so that you can't do the earpiece thing. Oh, God. Yeah? Insert, what? Hang on, back up the truck. So, <laughs> let me just say what the contra- contribution from the audience was. Uh, not an earpiece, inserted in a different orifice. I'm just going to have to ask you to just loudly explain. <laughs> Everybody, hush.
1: Yeah.
0: Another <laughs> orifice. Okay, our audience correspondent, for those listening to the podcast, says it was uh, a more complicated series of signals communicated via a device inserted in another orifice, and I'll allow you to just imagine what that might be, um, sending a pulse of Morse code type signals. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's really something.
1: That's what I use on federal election night, actually. (laughs) That's right. That's right. See that is. Wait, hang on, hang on. I... We're crossing now to the seat of Sturt. <laughs> oh.
0: oh my god! See that—that that is election night. Is for us. It's the—it's the, it's the grandmaster tournament. Like you know, because. That now goes from six p m till like one a m and you can 't leave the desk there 's no so we have to like start just tapering off solids from the morning <laughs> fluids from about one pm and sales gets all kind of glassy eyed and weird
1: and, um, yeah. and off we go okay now um, couple oh, of other things finished. that conversation's finished. couple of other things a <laughs> couple, couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about. I am into season 3 of Killing Eve. Oh, oh interesting. Mixed okay, okay good. that is very I'm, classic. I'm getting the sense it's a very interactive kind of crowd, so I'll be <laughs> keen to get people's sense of it. Okay, so what's good about it is clearly, I'm 3 seasons into it, so I can't be hating it that much. But I think I am hate-watching it a little bit. Um, I love Jodie Comer's wardrobe. I think that's awesome Um, and I think she's really good and she has a very interesting quality which I've talked about before in relation to a couple of male actors which is this rotten apple quality which is she looks really beautiful but there's something slightly odd about her that you just feel um she's just a bit weird or something and it it um it was she it's like wrong town she lives in Wrongtown. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. <laughs> she was in, uh, we talked recently on the po- podcast about the National Theatre production of uh, Prima Facie, as um, What's the Chops pronounced it? Um, Emily, Chops, I think is her <laughs> Emily like, <Matlis>. formal Emily <laughs> yeah. yeah, We were calling it Prima Facie. Um, anyway, Jodie Comer played the lead in that. She was utterly brilliant. But that slightly kind of unhinged quality that she's got really worked in that play as well, because you like, that play, for if, if anyone who heard that episode of the podcast, is about an, a sexual assault allegation. And so, you are watching it and going, but "Hang on, you were you were with that guy and happy to be with him?" And then what? No, you're saying you were right. so. She's because of her quality, it's kind of like lends itself to anything with ambiguity. And so, she's really good in this because there's this ambiguity about. So, what's happened here, kind of thing. Um, and in this case, it's whether she's good or evil. Kind of, um, well, she's really not good, but you know, she's got this kind of um, strange quality. But then, I. Just certain things about it I find um, off-putting. The primary one is I find – I mean, I hate when I talk about things being implausible in drama because the whole point of drama is that they're implausible. But I don't buy the attraction for Eve Pulaski to Villanelle. It just seems to me like, I'm sorry, you've actually seen this person murder people in gigantically violent ways. I cannot buy that you – Uh, uncontrollably attracted to her and also I'm not comfortable with the substitution of violence for sex because for for the two seasons I've watched so far they haven't had sex but there's been plenty of violence between them and so I find that problematic as a, a substitute for sexual longing the use of this extreme violence and then also just I don't there's I find Sandra Oh a little wooden as an actor, but I also think that um... <laughs> oh, there's a lot of support there. Yeah, so a believe. lot of support from the crowd there, and also um, there's no backstory. Like, so you've got this woman, a, a woman of Korean background, that we sometimes hear t- once. I think actually hear her talking to her mother on the phone in Korean. She goes to the Korean grocery store one time. She has an American accent, she lives in London, she's married to a Polish guy who presumably that's why her surname's but you never are given any backstory whatsoever or so far at least as to why this is what, what, what? How is she in this situation and what's the backstory here? So, I'm kind of finding it unsatisfactory and yet I keep watching. So, I don't know. I guess it's it just... It sounds a, a bit like
0: a television program that's doing its job, doesn't maybe, it? Because, it, I mean, yeah, you're yeah, watching it and it's I think...
1: A, it's a potboiler, right? So...
0: Sure, but I mean, I just think there is an escalating pattern of implausibility in, like, huge amounts of massively popular television and film... I also think that when the two protagonists are women you kind of there's this whole series of questions that surface that people don't ask when there's two male protagonists I mean like you know this sort of bizarre sort of psycho sexual fascination between people who are working against each other but who recognize each other's like psychological complexities is not really a new device in that kind of format, is it? But, like, it's just interesting and different when it's two women, I think. Um, well, I'm, I'm calling you sexist, um, I think. <laughs> <Right>. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm um, not really, because I kind of understand what you mean. Um, did you like it? Well, I've watched two series, but I haven't started watching series three yet, so... Um, and I did like it, because it's elegant, and because it's fast-paced, and I... Like you, I'm kind of a bit, I always need to be so violent, but that's because I'm just a sort of suburban mama, really.
1: I actually nearly stopped watching it in episode one because it was so violent. And, again, there was a scene in episode one where Eve Pulaski's cutting herself and then you see her do that again in a later episode and then it never happens again. So it's like there's a depth. I don't know, maybe if it's written more deep and then it's being edited in a way that's losing some of the character nuance because I guess it's remaining and probably why it's keeping me watching, even as I'm saying aloud, I'm just thinking this, is that... It's kind of like a procedural, like a whodunit kind of vibe. It's not a Who Done It, but you know what I mean. Like, so it's just heavily plot-driven and that keeps me going. But then the part of me that wants to understand why are these people doing this, it's not always fed. Although I just did watch an episode that was really well done and I think it was because it was mostly built around the Jodie Comer character where she goes back to her family in Russia. And that was actually quite a good episode because you felt like, okay, I'm getting a bit more of a sense of where she's coming from. You're just going to
0: hate-watch this to the very end. I think I am. You? And then and I like, keep... And we need... actually need is a support group after the end of each episode to just go on and explain why this is really not
1: worth hate watching. Hate Watchers Anonymous. As before it's you... Like, <laughs> My name's Lee. I'm a hate-watcher. I just watched three seasons of Killing Eve, that I didn't really... <laughs> I'm going to keep watching it as long as they keep making it. I'm yeah. going to keep watching
0: it so that I can keep just being annoyed by it <laughs>
1: <laughs> while we're on crimey kind of stuff um i also read this novel called wrong time wrong place by jillian oh, i read that too oh great okay by Gillian McAllister. right how did we both manage to read that i don't know the publisher probably sent it to us both at the same that time That is probably that is probably <laughs> what happened. okay so let me see if you can can you remember of because we both get sent many books can you remember what made you pick it up to read it
0: Oh, it was there. I'd moved house and all my other books were in boxes and oh, it showed okay. up. So it there was, there no was particular. one publisher that I had remembered to send my new address to. <laughs> so, oh. so I picked it up and I started reading it. And I actually sort of read it because it just seemed like a massively ambitious premise. And
1: I thought, Well, I don't know any writer alive who could pull that this off. Okay. I think I read it because it it uh I was looking for, like, something that wouldn't take very much concentration and it was clearly a thriller. And then it said something like national UK bestseller and then I Googled it and it was like it was a very, very popular book in the UK last year or the year before or something. So I thought, oh, well, you know, 55 million Brits can't be wrong, so... <laughs> well, <laughs> Brexit. <Brits> <laughs> um, but the, the premise of it is, and it's it's incredibly complex, um, it's written... Um, it's. <laughs> there's backwards. Backwards. it's written backwards yeah and there's it's the multiverse which I know like that just makes you immediately not want to watch it but uh, read it but um it's basically it starts with and so you know I'm not spoiling it this is in chapter 1 a woman witnesses her son murder somebody and so that's highly traumatic and then she wakes up the next day but she's gone one day back in time so it's the day before her son's murdered somebody and then the next chapter she's woken up and she's gone back a week in time and she kind of starts figuring out that something weird's happening and she's being given a chance to keep going back in time to change circumstances so maybe her son doesn't murder this person.
0: And she goes back to It's not just one day at a time, she goes back to days that are significant for some reason that she doesn't immediately realise when she wakes up. And of course, she figures something out every day that she goes back, but then even when she makes a contact with somebody and talks to them and thinks, okay, right, we've worked that out, then she goes back further back in time and that person doesn't have any idea who she is. So um, everything that she kind of works out only exists in her. brain and not in the brain of any of the people. So there was this guy who is an expert in time travel through the multiverse. Stay with me. Um, <laughs> that she <laughs> that she makes contact with and he's like, "Yes, yes, no, you're real, you're right. This is happening. It's completely correct." And then she goes back to him a week later before and he's like hello who are you and so then she develops this kind of code with him where she finds out something about him from his childhood so that she can like hand it to him on a card every
1: time she so he, yeah so he, so he can go ah uh, that's right because I do tell people from the future it's massively
0: so... impressive like and as you read it you think well you are like wow god this is it's sort of like somebody who can build a really really impressive sandcastle like so A portion of you is like, that is an amazing sandcastle. But then another portion of you is like, that is a
1: lot of time to invest into an amazing sandcastle. Can you just excuse me while I do some parenting? Kids, stop that running around backstage. I (laughs) know. Everyone can hear your feet running around backstage, please. I don't know if you... Can you all hear that? Yeah. Everyone can hear you guys. Stop it. What
0: percentage is that your kids and what percentage is my kids' (laughs) Right, right. One third, two thirds. Okay, all right. Kids, stop it. Don't make us come out there Uh, for another ten minutes. look, it's it's an impressive read and I was slightly distracted by the, oh, my God, is this going to get awkward? And it sort of doesn't, so that's great. Um,
1: She does pull it off, but it's a stressful read because it's just... It's challenging because she keeps going backwards and so you're trying to deal with that all the time and, you know, see previous points about the multiverse just really hard to follow but However, it's, it's good it I read good. it all the way to the end
0: and I also Same. like I picked it up at times where Same. I probably shouldn't have so that is a, also it, the it sign of it definitely
1: kept me going because I wanted to know how is she going to stop this thing from happening and then there were certain questions where you go but hang on if you if you're going back and doing this don't ever think it don't yeah, ever, think, exactly. it. Don't ever think it stop don't it ever you think it. can't think anything like you've just got to let go of all well, those I do think yeah. as a writer like
0: how could you not be massively overwhelmed by the just unanswerable questions, like, coughed up by what you're trying to achieve. I mean, you have to be a very iron-willed novelist to just go, absolutely just going to not
1: open the door to the unanswerable question that yeah. is prompted by what I just did. I guess the thing that motivates you to do that is that you're massively in love with the device and the challenge that you've sure. set for yourself, right? Like You've talked about this in regards to Ian McEwen, where he'll set up, um, oh, I'm going to take three pages to write three seconds and just... Or, you know, like people do that. He does this where it'll be the present moment and it'll be the moment of, you know, watching you drop a cup of water on the ground and he'll weave in and out of our past history and then you'll be back to the... As the cup's about to hit the ground, and then we go back to the time that I went to your 21st birthday and then yep. the cup's a bit closer and then... It's, yeah. it's amazing skill. And sometimes when you read people that are that good at writing, it's like you can kind of... It's not like you can see the stitching because they do it really well, but you're kind of aware that they're going, it's showing Look off, at my isn't beautiful it? stitching. Yeah. Look at how That's beautifully I've like stitched. You can see the stitching. playing a guitar behind his back. Just yeah. Like, so yeah. it's kind of, it's almost the opposite to what we we're talking about with Luke about that when you watch somebody who does something with complete mastery, how it looks, those videos I was talking about about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, where it looks just so fluid like it's really really elegant and fluid and so therefore it looks effortless and the more it looks like that the more you know that it's not effortless so when you read a piece of writing that's not drawing your attention to any of those devices then it's very high degree of skill involved to execute it so the mere fact I think if your attention's pulled to that shows that it's like the fact that we're talking so much about the device of going backwards it's kind of a bit it's not confected, because she did pull it off, but you know what I mean? It's a bit, It drew attention to itself.
0: Sure, you're conscious of the device, right? It's not a kind of a something that you realise after after you've read the novel. You're conscious of it entirely throughout. Yeah. I'll say, like, because we're both on leave at the moment, which is why we have time to just absolutely crap on about this stuff, um, <laughs> but I have been reading differently and probably watching a bit more television and... Um, I've been reading a bit more like sort of thrillery, crimey stuff, and I just actually finished reading a book um, by uh, a Sydney lawyer who now I have to also say is a Sydney writer called Richard McHugh um, called The Cutting. And it's a novel, uh, look, it's kind of interesting because it's written by like Richard McHugh is a very well known Sydney lawyer, um, and he's also, <laughs> I do have a like, I do have a personal connection to him because he once helped me to escape jail. Uh, when, when I was... I was prosecuted ow. by the... Ow! <laughs> I was prosecuted by the Senate for contempt uh, about 20 years ago. Look, it was a really... It was a very, like, low-grade crime that I allegedly committed. And it's actually, like, just a really good example of my just haphazard approach to sometimes quite key issues in life. So I wrote a story, I published a story about a Senate committee report that hadn't yet been tabled, which is a, you know, it's an offence. It's an (laughs) offence. And I was like, ran on page two of The Age, a paper that I was working for at the time. And then I got this letter from the Privileges Committee of the Senate saying, this is an outrage. We're charging you with contempt. And I was like, "Ah, yeah, yeah. And then I sort of put it in my inbox and I didn't really... And then... Some weeks later I got a very I'd have to say a sort of elevated call from the um from the age lawyers saying, Have you received a letter about me? Prosecuted by the Senate I said, Oh, I remember something about that. I just haven't I, I don't know, I'm getting around to it. And they're like, Oh my god, <laughs> like, this is very serious. And so they bust in all these lawyers and there was a hearing in the building and like, and they wouldn't let me go because I think they thought that I would be too ridiculous a witness. They oh, said, don't come into the building. Like, but I did go into the building, but secretly. I went and watched it in an unnamed MP's office. Let's just call him Christopher Pine. And um, I was watching it on closed-circuit TV, and I was like, I'm going to prison. Anyway, I didn't. I was, um, I was, I was absolved. But it was partly due to the like the advocacy of this Richard McHugh, who I don't know super well, but he is a lawyer who is now a novelist as so well. So all these years
1: later, did he ring you and go, hey, Annabelle, you know that time I kept you out of prison? Well, I've written a novel. No, he really
0: didn't. <laughs> I promise. He really didn't. Um, and actually, the thing is, I mean, I actually know his mother a bit, Jeanette McHugh, who was like the first woman to represent new South oh, Wales, hi, and all house I to let no, you know no, no, by lovely it's written
2: that a
1: novel. Let you do that lovely podcast that didn't happen
0: either that didn't happen either but the thing is i also know his wife who <laughs> who's a barrister who i interviewed for the wife drought and but like none of those things happened i just picked it up because you know anyway i'm very interested by and look, look the novel is um, it's sort of It's about a very rich man who's inherited a kind of like his grandmother's estate and she was a like mining pioneer and he's like inherited this huge deposit in the Pilbara which he then kind of totally ruins and then there's a bit of a slight growing corruption issue. It's sort of set in Sydney so it's like the corruption happens in Sydney, the mining happens in the Pilbara... (laughs) And it's sort of quite a waspishly funny novel that is sort of very sharply informed about political correctness, the environment movement, um, and also this sort of undercurrent of influence that happens in Sydney around money. And, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a clever novel. But I'm, I'm sort of super interested in, in lawyers who are good at writing, like, because it's a well-written novel and it's, like, quite gripping. And I always remember someone giving me one of Ian callanan's novels when he was a, like, high court, high court justice. It was all about, you know, a judge who's, like, I think, gets it off with a hot, like, you know, QC
1: or something. I'm like, oh, God, no, what? But um, where am I going with this? It's, it's <laughs> like, um. wonder. well... Legal, legal writing, and good legal writing. Yeah, we were both obsessed recently with watching. Um, this is where I'm going. Yeah, she remembers. Yeah, yeah. we well, were both. Do, do you want to go there, or should I go there for you? Well,
0: I mean, now that you've prompted me, I may as well fill in the gaps. We are both. Um, <laughs> see, see, I studied law, so I'm, I'm something of a, you know. Q scientist slash chess journalist slash actual qualified lawyer who's never, ever practised. But um, legal writing is sometimes very, very... Like, it's hard to read, and academic legal writing is, is hard to absorb. But there are some judges who write judgments that are incredibly gripping and designed to sort of resist appeal, and we both listened to one recently, which is the judgment in the Dawson case... You know, the Chris Dawson, Lynn Dawson murder case from many years ago. And remember when the day that that judgment was to be handed down
1: and it was televised... Yeah, it took it took almost all day and we both were watching it all day while we were doing stuff. I had to get a flight at one point. And if you looked at our text messages that day the whole day, it would have been always oh, coming down with a not guilty. It's gonna be a not guilty. Oh, no no no, it's gonna no. around, no, it's guilty you, for sure. Didn't you hear what he just said? He just said, no, 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 it's gonna be it's guilty, it's guilty. And so it was just this back and forth the entire day, but it was fascinating and we were going, Oh, he's just tied off that loose end, oh he's just done it was really gripping, fascinating it bit of work. It was actually
0: I mean I'm I'm sure it wasn't in- tended to be a work of suspense, but it really was because, and I know that people gathered thinking, oh, this will be, you know, we'll find out what's happened and what the judgement is within an hour and then a couple of hours and then the judge says, I think we'll break for lunch, shall we? (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, God. Anyway, I mean, it really was, you really only knew in the last ten minutes of this judgement. Yeah. It was a superb piece of writing, but obviously judgments in criminal cases are usually written in order to evade appeal right like yeah. to like quarterize ends and possible sources of appeal and it was like an incredibly um, thoughtfully written judgment from from that perspective have,
1: have they said yet if they are appealing in that matter do you know I does anyone else
0: know does anyone else know does anyone better they are appealing listen? Yes. Right.
1: Okay. There's a sort of Good yes, to know. probably. Well, we've on. given you something Albany, now you've given us something. Albany, I should wow. say. Oh, oh no! What? It was going so well.
0: <laughs> it was so all going Here's well. the problem. You know, the two of us have been basically end-to-end listening to Hamilton for about 4 years now. Oh. And every mention of Albany in Hamilton has just hammered in that pronunciation. Yeah, it has. And can I just say, like, without a word of a lie, we have pronounced Albany correctly in (laughs) private all day. And she's very tired and unwell and she's like, a crack has appeared. (laughs) And now you loathe us both, don't you? You just loathe us both. Next thing we're going
1: to Gnomesville, you're going to hate us even more. It's a shocker. So we're so we've got we're going to. Um, we thought we might do that treetops walk. Is that the kids will be? In, yeah, okay. So we're going to right. take the kids to that. Oh, they're back on side. We're going to go. I like the treetops. Is it Tawndir National? Is that how you say it? Oh God, it? don't – Oh God. Ba- Where? I feel like that's wrong. We're going to do that. We're going to do, um, and then we drive up to Margaret River. We'll go back to via Mount Barker Bakery. Yeah. And then um, Margaret we're going River there and we're again. Going to Fonk around in there going to a restaurant called Mickey's Open Kitchen, which is highly recommended if anyone's ever been there. So yeah, so anyway, we've got some It's actually hosting.
0: pronounced Mikey. <laughs> I believe.
1: Thank but, you um, for ruining that. If you see us if you see us in the street, come and say good day and thank you for having us. Oh, and we're very... Can I just say before oh. you like oh. this this is the sales wind up, it's just unmistakable.
0: <laughs> I mean I get it all the time. Uh, yeah. She gets this it's still a hangover from 7.30 30 where she's like, okay. Did you just like look at your fake watch? No, Did you just I do like. <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I just wanted to. I mean, look, I just wanted to say that. I'll um, just top up a drink. We got some lovely treats backstage, oh, and yeah. thank you very much for bringing them. We got a lovely knitted cotton dishwash cloth from Kate Mary, and I love those things. So that is extraordinarily welcome. And we also got this bloody amazing looking brownie from Jillian, Julia and Ruth. Thank, Thank you. It's delicious. And there's, um, we haven't eaten the whole thing yet, but I mean, standby. I mean, there's a bakery theme to our evening. Uh, and also chat 10 was picked out in flowers on top of the brownie, which is...
1: I didn't recognise that. I thought what? it was just what flowers. You... What, what is it? A cherry what? Oh. Stop it! Ah,
0: And I saw that it was Chat 10. <laughs> My friend, the trained observer, Australia's preeminent <laughs> current affairs journalist, may not have spotted that, but I was
1: all over it. Um, happy 65th birthday, Jill. Yeah. Yes! Yes, <laughs> whose friend dropped us off a little note to tell us.
0: <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. Also, I want to just welcome Chat 10 loyal, uh, royalty, Christy Diffie in the audience. I mean, like the biscuit queen of well this entire continent let's be honest she is uh, a superstar and uh, any
1: audience is enriched by Christie's presence i think you're very insensitive to the needs of a person who's had gastro i don't oh look no, she's I'm just joking. crossing I'm her legs fine. I'm just and she's kind it. of like no, i'm teasing you i'm actually fine i'm just teasing you i
0: believe in miracles <laughs> you sexy thing <laughs>
1: Last uh, night yeah last night's walk on music was hot chocolate which she then explained to the audience for a good 10 minutes
0: cuz I'm a good pal. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Thank you for having us, Albany. It has been an absolute joy to be in your presence and to hang around like a really bad smell, a particularly bad smell in her case, uh, for the next
1: couple of days. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Thank you.